The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, as we speed through the book. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these words convey a warm Christian greeting, but they may sound strange to modern ears, largely because few people today really understand the true meaning of grace and peace. If grace means anything at all to most people, it may indicate charm, good manners, or attractiveness. Peace may refer only to peace as an alternative to war. Peace in the hands of Paul, is a much deeper thing. So let's look at it initially as a greeting. The words Paul used to greet the church at Philippi were actually quite common in Paul's day. The word translated grace was a normal Gentile address for greeting. In fact, we know this because of all the thousands of Greek papyri that's been found, copies of letters, and then also archaeological finds of letters from the officials of Rome to one another. In the same way, the common greeting uh, among the Jewish people was peace, shalom. One of the kings of Persia used this to address the nation of Israel in Ezra, Ezra chapter 4 and verse 17. Uh, This was a common greeting as well in the time of Jesus. And at the same time, however, it's important to note that the words translated in Paul's hands carry a much deeper and more Christian meaning. The normal Gentile greeting was the Greek word sharon, which is a verb. But Paul used the noun form of the same root, charis. The difference is slight, but there's a very, very deeper meaning in Paul's use. For the Christian speech, Paul's word cherish was always associated with the grace of God. Greeks were merely sending greetings to one another, but Paul was saying God's grace to you. Very significant difference. In a similar way, although the word is unchanged, peace cannot be understood merely as a common salutation. In Paul's mouth, it must always have some reference to the fruits of justification and the result of a reconciliation between Christ and those who have trusted him. So let's begin in earnest by looking at undeserved grace. Because the first greeting that Paul has here for the Christians at Philippi is grace. And he uses it with full Christian meaning. God's grace. In other words, unmerited favor towards humanity. Now, it seems unnecessary to emphasize this because grace, by definition, is unmerited favor. Yet, we must emphasize it because man always has the idea that they've done something to earn it. God loves him for what he is intrinsically. Uh, We imagine that God has been gracious to us because of what we've done, or because of our piety, or our good deeds, or even our repentance, or virtue. But God has none of that in mind. God loves us in spite of who we are. 
In fact, Romans 5.8 <clears throat> says, But God shows his love towards, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still messy, sinful creatures, he died for us. Christ died for people who were hideous in his sight because of sin. And that's who we were. If we are ever to fully understand the grace of God, we must begin with the knowledge that God has acted graciously towards us in Christ entirely apart from any merit on our own. And interestingly, once we understand that, you and I begin to understand how to love those who are hard to love. We begin to understand that if Christ loved us in our sinful state, how much more should we love others who perhaps don't treat us well or, or who are very difficult to love? Now, there's a wonderful illustration of this that I'm sure many of you are familiar of. It's the life of John Newton. John Newton had been raised by, in a Christian home by Christian parents who loved the Lord. He had been taught Bible verses. He had been taught concepts about Christianity. But unfortunately, he was orphaned at the age of six, and he was forced to go and live with unchristian families. And in this home, it was very hostile towards Christ. He was abused. He was mistreated. And then finally, when he got to the age, he ran away and joined the British Navy and became a seaman. He was there for many years, but then his loss of Christian values began to sink in, and he ran away from the Navy, he ran off to Africa, and the reason he ran off, in his own words, were, quote, to sin my full. His whole focus was to live as righteous as he could, and to just live for himself. In Africa, he joined forces with a Portuguese slave trader, and uh, his life continued to spiral down and out of control. But when the slave trader was gone, he was often left in charge of his African wife who absolutely hated white men. And she was the head of the harem. And she treated him so badly that he was forced at times to eat his food off the dusty floor like a dog. At last, Newton couldn't take it any longer. And he fled, made his way to the coast where he was able to get aboard ship heading back to England. Well, while there, they realized that he had Navy training, and so he became a mate and was in charge of the navigation, but he couldn't even hold that job because he broke into the stash of rum, distributed it to the whole crew, and they got so drunk that the ship was almost destroyed. In fact, Newt was thrown, fell overboard and almost drowned. As they got closer to England off the coast of Scotland, they were in a violent storm. The ship was blown off course, and Newton was sent to the hold to man the pumps. For days, they pumped and pumped, trying to keep the ship from sinking, and he became very scared. The reality of his life began to settle into him, and he began to cry out to God for mercy. And as he cried out for God, God began to bring back to his mind those verses that his parents had taught him as a young boy at home. And let me just say right now, for those of you who work in Awana, in children's ministries, you never know when God's going to use those verses. 
They may not get the, word, the verses perfect, but they get the concepts and the understanding. And as they grow, God will bring them back. And that's exactly what happened to Newton. As these verses began to flood his mind, the Holy Spirit began to draw on his heart. And Newton gave his life to Christ and was gloriously saved. He went on to become a great preacher in England and a great man of the word. And that same Newton penned those famous words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Newton was a great preacher of grace. And no wonder, for he had learned, just as Paul had, how undeserving grace was. And yet his life was gloriously saved. Grace is of God, and it's always unmerited. <clears throat> it's so undeserving. Yet the glory of God and his love reached out and drew him. Now, as if grace isn't enough, <clears throat> we also find out that it's also abounding grace. Romans 5.20, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound more and more. You see, the reality is, is that once you have Christ, you're sealed into the day of redemption. You may fall, you may make mistakes, you may fall into sin, but grace abounds more and more. God's grace, that overwhelming grace. God tells us that we have not the slightest claim upon him. We deserve hell at his hands, and anything that he might do for us, however insignificant, is grace. But God's grace is not insignificant, and it certainly does not stop with a single act. It is grace for eternity. And moreover, the Bible teaches that God's grace will go on overflowing throughout this life to the moment of our resurrection and beyond. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 15 knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It was grace that the worlds were hung in space and the earth for human life. It was by grace that the mountains were created and the world filled with life. By grace, humans were made in God's image with every capacity for fellowship with him. By grace, humans received the biblical revelation after the fall. By grace, God chose Israel for a special purpose in history. It was grace that sent the Lord Jesus to live a life and revealed to the Father to a die and then to die for human sin. Grace leads us to trust Christ. Grace sent the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide. Grace has persevered the church through the centuries. Grace will bring forth the final resurrection. Grace will sustain us through eternity as we live in unbroken fellowship with God and grow in the knowledge of him. Grace is unmerited. Grace is abounding. It is the knowledge of of such grace that inspired Paul to write grace to you. In fact, he was literally saying, all the glory of God to you. Let that sink in. 
grace, unmerited favor, all the glory of God to you, Philippians, and to you, Grace Fellowship Church. And then he uses the word peace. You see, grace is not the only word in Paul's greeting to the Philippians. As if grace wasn't enough, he adds peace. Peace with God. Just as grace was the common greeting for the Gentiles, <clears throat> peace was the common greeting among the Jewish people. Shalom. How thoughtful of Paul to combine both of those to a church that was made up of both Jew and Gentile. <clears throat> Just as Paul had a deeper meaning in mind for the word grace, so he has a deeper meaning in the mind for the word peace. Shalom in the writings of the Apostle Paul can never be understood merely as a common salutation. Peace comes from God. Grace is unmerited, abounding favor of God to men, and peace is the result of that grace. It's the result of the reconciliation of man and God through Jesus' death. Peace obtained at the cross of Christ. It's absolutely amazing the significant moments in the life of Christ where peace occurs. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And then who can forget John 14, 27. Peace, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, you and I often think that peace is mainly uh, money in the bank, job security, family and friends healthy. But this is not peace. I call this temporary moments of unconscious insanity because it's fleeting. There's nothing to anchor it to. Peace is Jesus. When he said, my peace, I live with you, it is literally Christ, the peace. I love John 20, verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And I just think of this scene for a moment. Jesus has been crucified. The disciples figure if they're going to take the leader, they're probably going to take the followers. And so here they are huddled in this room, the door locked up tight, trying to decide what to do. And here Jesus walks right through the closed door and stands there and says, peace be with you. Can, can you just imagine those disciples? Why did Jesus say that? Because he is peace. And he walked into their midst and he said, peace be with you. In other words, hey, fellas, your peace is here. I'm here. And I can just imagine the fear rolling away. You see, you and I get so hung up in the world. And sometimes we do a good job at creating peace for ourselves. But anything of peace in this world is fleeting. It doesn't last. But when you have Christ, you have eternal peace. 
So you have grace, which is unmerited, producing peace, which is undeserved, which gives you strength and endurance for day-to-day life. Peace with God. I mean, just think of it. We are not naturally at peace with God. We are at war with God, either passively or actively. And being at war with God, we are also at war with each other. In fact, we're often at war with ourselves. And that's why we experience so much misery and why there is so much unrest in the world. But God gives peace, perfect peace. He does it in Christ. He will give you peace if you come to him and lay everything at his feet. Christians trust God for salvation from the penalty of sin, but they must also trust him for daily victory over sin and for a constant provision for all needs. That alone brings peace that passes all understanding. In a few weeks, we're going to see uh, in more depth uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, but let's just look at it quickly here. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay. Christians, stop worrying about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we begin to get an insight now onto what this peace really means. Because he says, the peace of God, not your peace. He's not going to help you find peace in your daily life so you're comfortable. He's not going to help you to have the power of positive thinking that allows you to overcome fear. No. Jesus is the peace. So he says, when you come to him, and lay all your requests before him with thanksgiving, because guess what? You know he's taking care of it, because he promised. So we come with our our request, thanking him, praising him, giving him glory for what we're going through, and it's to that person that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. But here's the key. It will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ. In other words, he puts a sentinel, a guard on your heart and keeps you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. They can't take Jesus from you, so they can't take your peace if you understand he is the peace. Do you know this peace with God? Or are you filled with anxiety this morning? If you are, you need to trust completely in what God has already done for your salvation and then learn to lay all your requests before him. Because guess what? That's what the whole book of Philippians is about. It's giving your life so totally to Christ that he becomes your very peace. He is your very joy. He is your stabling force that gets you through anything this world can throw at you. He 
is the one increasing and guiding you. And if you will do that, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, this is amazing truth. This is important to understand grace, and it's important to understand peace. But there's something here that I want to make sure we have a good handle on. Now, you may listen to this and go, well, of course, we get that. But, but let's allow it to penetrate your heart. Grace comes before peace. Grace comes before peace. The final point is this. Paul said, grace and peace to you, not peace and grace. In God's order of things, God's hand is always there in grace before any spiritual blessing. That is so that he has total credit of your salvation and everything that comes through your life. We see this through scripture. Let me give you a couple examples. In Genesis chapter 6 and through 8, we read of the great flood of God's intervention to have Noah and his immediate family saved. We read of Noah's sacrifice and of God's promise never to again destroy the earth by water. All these things are amazing. But before any of them ever happened, we read of God's grace. Genesis 6 verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the book of Genesis, we also find a story of the blessing on the life of Abraham. Abraham was to be the father of many nations. He was to be the first to receive the right of circumcision. God promised that his seed, uh, that all the nations of the world would be blessed by him. We are told that by faith, Abraham accounted him as being righteous. But before any of these things, before the promise, before the sacraments, even before faith, God came to Abraham in grace, called him out of Mesopotamia to Palestine, and established a permanent relationship with him. All before the blessings. Exodus tells us of the blessing that came to Israel at Sinai, and later in the promised land. The young nation received the law and the kingdom, but before any of this, we read of God's gracious deliverance of Israel from captivity in Egypt. And because of this, Moses writes in Exodus 15, 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You see, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, before peace, before blessings, there's grace. And you need to understand the grace of our omnipotent God, who before the foundation of the world called you to himself. And I know I, I say this probably frequently, but if you stop and think of the billions of people who have ever lived, 
and who are yet to live, however long, till the Lord tarries. And yet of all those people, God loves you. That's amazing grace. No merit of your own. Because before the foundation of the world, God marked it out. In fact, he marked out a life that you and I are to walk in. So not only does he provide amazing grace for salvation, but he provides amazing grace for your everyday life. You and I walk through a life today that's very uncertain in human terms. None of us knows what tomorrow will hold. None of us knows what will happen when you leave this building today. We know what we've planned. We know what we have in mind. We know the decisions we've made. But everything happens according to God's plan. Yet that amazing God loved you so much that he went to the cross of Calvary and died so that his perfect blood could wash away all your sins. That's amazing grace. That's the grace John Newton wrote about. That is the grace that overpowers your sinful life and draws you to salvation. But then, as we've seen, not only is it grace, but it's abounding grace. Because the grace not only knows your inability to trust him, it also knows your inability to keep saved. I mean, there's not a person here who could live a righteous life to earn it and keep it. He purchased it for you, and it's hidden with him. We read in the Bible that we have been adopted into his family. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That literally means, folks, everything that the Father has given Christ is yours. Now let that sink in for a minute. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, holy, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God of the universe. Yet when he took on human form and laid his life on the altar as payment for our sins, he has taken that body forever because of his love for you. And he adopts us, when we accept him, into his family we have all the rights and privileges that he has. So from the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed and while you're sleeping, his grace is sustaining you. His grace is holding you. His grace is cultivating you. So when we get frustrated, when things don't go to suit us, and life gets difficult, we need to realize that there is a God who has it all under control. And that produces the peace, the peace that passes every human understanding. Because who among us can possibly understand that kind of love? You and I know of human love. Many of us, our love has been destroyed. Our love has been broken, crushed. And so we walk gingerly through life, not wanting to get hurt, not wanting to have any issues that would rob us of peace. Yet that God of love can never be broken. Can never be broken. 
If you truly love Christ as your Savior, when Ephesians says that you're sealed into the day of redemption, that literally means that relationship can never be broken. You are his forever. And that's why it's important for you and I to meditate on the word and understand that when the title of this series is Joy No Matter What, there's nothing that can break that bond. And so if you trip up, if you mess up, if things don't go right, at least you know that you have a father who will never, ever, ever let you go. And not only that, he will use those mistakes to grow you. He will take what you and I want to throw out in the trash and he'll say, oh, no, no, no. We're, we're going to learn by that. We're, we're going to take that and we're going to build you up because of that. And when you look back in life and you see the utter failures and then you realize what those failures did to produce in your Christian growth and realize that only the hand of God could do that, that's the amazing grace. So when Paul in his simple greeting says, grace and peace to you, oh man, there's, there's a whole world of more stuff he's talking about. He has literally, in two words, nailed down the entire Christian existence of every one of us. And that's why I say, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want to tell you, you're missing an amazing life. You're missing out not only on an eternity, but you're missing out on daily food to sustain you every step of the way. That's the amazing grace. So it has been that way in every age. It's my story and it's your story. None of us found any of the fruits of the Spirit before God himself was in our heart. If we did anything at all, we ran from God. We hid from God. But God, because of grace, will let us go. Because he knows better. And not only does he know better, he loves us with a godly love that's beyond comprehension. And that's why Paul calls it the peace that passes all understanding. We will never fully grasp it this side of glory. But if you'll rest in that peace, when you have a need and you don't see any way of meeting that need, then let God do it. Let God do it. Because he will come through no matter what. Because his plan is greater than our plan. As we think about this and meditate on this, and as we prepare for communion, I want you to just listen to this video. And I want you to just allow your heart to be absorbed in what real grace and peace is. And if the men will come down and prepare for our communion while we're listening to this.